Thank you, Lucas, for that uh, gracious introduction. Boy, this thing's tight. Um, it's good to be with you this morning uh, to share God's Word with you. I am very excited about what I think the Lord would have for us this morning. I was reading uh, a local newspaper about 10 days ago, and uh, the writer of an opinion, a short opinion piece, said this in a local newspaper, it's time to grow up. Okay, there's an insult right off the get-go, time to grow up. There is no big white guy, there's the racism, there's no big white guy somewhere out there that we can't see ready to deny us heaven because of our shortcomings. No doubt there is a creator who is a master scientist, a biologist, a botanist, a chemist, a physicist. There's the idolatry of science right there in that little letter. And the writer goes on to talk about saving babies among female parents. Notice she doesn't call these bearers of babies women. She calls them females as though they're part of an animal species. And so then she claims that many of these females uh, uh, carry children or carry babies that are fathered by monsters. And then she calls people who carry guns or who uh, believe in gun rights uh, uh, in the Constitution of the Second Amendment of the U.S., yeah, she calls them mentally ill. And then she urges people who do these things or believe these things to just stop it. There's a lot of yelling in this opinion piece. Stop it. Just stop it. Stop trying to run the lives of those with a more mature view of life. And then the writer talks about uh, the contempt she reveals toward those of us who have these kinds of convictions. And then she argues that the smartest people in the room ought to make these decisions, and you, the reader, are not qualified unless you're determined by a bunch of people that you're the smartest person in the room. You see the hostility and the antipathy, the contempt this person has uh, for what many of us believe are simple values that we hold dear. The scariest thing to me about this letter is that it's written by a retired school teacher. A retired school teacher. Do you know any people like this? Do you know any people that have those kinds of convictions and contempt and hatred for those of us in faith? This is not the kind of a person that you would say, uh, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You may know that as the first spiritual law. There are four spiritual laws in popular evangelicalism a few years ago, and the first one is uh, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Try saying that to this retired school teacher who may live next door to you. Do you know anybody in your neighborhood that has these kinds of beliefs in your workplace, maybe even in your home, uh, maybe people you encounter on a regular basis outside of your home? There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, as I read the news and follow our contemporary culture, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who have these kinds of convictions. And if you do not run across them, maybe you aren't having any discussions with them about the meaning and the purpose of life. We're going to talk this morning about one of my favorite characters in the Scriptures, the prophet Micaiah from 1 Kings 22. Micaiah is obscure. He's unknown. He's not famous. He's not highly regarded. He's, this is the only section in Scriptures where you'll see, you'll see the prophet Micaiah directly mentioned. He may be mentioned earlier in 1 Kings as an unnamed prophet that perhaps walked around with Elijah but the only section where he is mentioned directly is in 1 Kings 22, 
We'll be going through the first 28 verses. It's a large chunk of scriptures, but it's the first 28 verses of 1 Kings chapter 22. But I want to take note of the special mention that Micaiah is unknown and obscure. You got many famous people in this congregation? Uh, people who are wise according to what the world says is wisdom. People who have the skill for living in accordance with God's economy. Uh, not many. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about these things. He's writing a letter to the Corinthian church, which was a messed up place, a messed up church. They were factious. They were fighting all the time. And he talks about uh, that, that these, the people of Corinth, the, the church of Corinth, which should, should consider their calling. Uh, not many were wise, according to the world's evaluation of what is wise. Not powerful, not noble birth. The world does not respect the Christian view. Our country is in a post-Christian era. It's not 1965 anymore. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's still there. His economy is still the same. What it was in 1965 America, his economy is still here today. And he calls on his people to live in accordance with his economy. But listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 29. No human being should boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, he, the Lord, is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, and our sanctification and redemption. It's our redemption, our sanctification, our wisdom, our righteousness. We own it as we have relationship with Jesus Christ. But the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. That's taken from Jeremiah 9. 23 and 24, but not many wise. We are obscure. We are disrespected by the world and disregarded. And that's okay. As I think about Micaiah and have thought about First Kings 22, I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 11. You remember the great Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but the great Hall of Faith chapter, he mentions great heroes of the faith, men and women, Enoch, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Jacob and Joseph, and Rahab, the, the woman who helped the, uh, uh, the Hebrews in their battle against Jericho. Listen to what the writer says about obscure people who love the Lord. That's us. They suffer mocking. This is Hebrews eleven thirty six and forward. They suffer mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment. They're stoned, sawn in two, killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, of whom the world was not worthy. Micaiah was one of whom the world was not worthy. Turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Kings chapter 22. I need to set this up a little bit for you. This is the era of the divided kingdom. We had uh, uh, King David, remember, was the king of the United Kingdom of Israel. His son Solomon became king upon David's death. Solomon had a great start. He was king for, I think, 40 years. Uh, he did many good things, but he also did some many foolish things. The wisest man in the world, the wisest man on earth whom everybody sought became a rather foolish person. Uh, the point being that wisdom is not necessarily uh, godliness. God got so upset with Solomon that he tore the kingdom away except a portion of it. He tore the kingdom away from Solomon's family, this, uh, David's family, and he left, left just a portion of it. So with Solomon's uh, uh, demise... 
came to the divided kingdom. Now, God was so angry with Solomon because he accumulated immense wealth, and I mean immense wealth. If you were to read 1 Kings chapter 10, you would see that it says uh, uh, silver was considered as nothing in the days of Solomon. And silver is a precious metal. But gold was so common that silver was considered nothing. In one year, and I'm not making this up, in one year, 1 Kings chapter 10, um, the Scripture says that um, in one year, Solomon accumulated 666 talents of gold. I did a little math. I'm not a great mathematician, but I can do some multiplication addition. That equals about 50,000 pounds of gold that Solomon accumulated in one year. The price of gold today is about $1,700. If you multiply that number of pounds with uh, the price of gold per ounce, 16 ounces to a pound, Solomon accumulated 1.4, more than $1.4 billion in gold in one year. That's B with a boy, billion, in one year. Uh, Deuteronomy 17.17, 17, the Lord laid out guidelines and warnings for the kings. Don't accumulate too, many, too much gold, too much wealth. Why? Because it will draw your heart away from me, he said. It will draw your heart away. Second warning to kings, don't gather women to yourselves as king. Solomon violated that guideline by the Lord. He had 700 wives, 300 mistresses. So what happened? His wives turned away his heart from the following the Lord. The money, the power, the wealth turned his heart away from following the Lord, as did the foreign women who led him into idolatry. The Lord was angry with Solomon because why? Because he accumulated too much wealth? Well, not at the core of it. Because he had so many wives? Well, not at the core of it. At the core of it, it says the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, it wasn't a one-time offense. It was his practice. It was the determination of his heart to do these things. So God broke the kingdom in two. So you had Judah and Israel, the divided kingdom. We're going to see in 1 Kings chapter 22, the kings of the divided kingdom. Jehoshaphat was a pretty good king. He was a king of Judah. Judah had several good kings in its history. Israel in the divided kingdom era had no good kings in its history. The king of Israel at this point is Ahab, who was a horrible king. He was an idolatrous pagan. He was a coward. He was whiny. He was horrible. You can read that in the chapters before 1 Kings 22. So let's read this, uh, uh, starting in verse 1. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, pretty good king, came down to the king of Israel. That's Ahab. Now picture this. This is not something that we normally think about. But picture this if we had kings in our country now. Uh, let's say the king of Wisconsin was Ahab. And the king of Minnesota is Jehoshaphat. The king of Minnesota, the capital, is St. Paul. So Jehoshaphat comes down from St. Paul to see in Madison King Ahab. So what, is, what do they say together? Ahab, in verse 3, says um, to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us and we have kept quiet? Do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. Ramoth Gilead was a sanctuary city where the Lord set up these cities so that people who unintentionally killed someone can go for refuge. But there was, it was kind of in between Syria and Israel, and they were wanting to fight over it. Israel wanted that back. It's kind of, I had a friend years ago who was a cross-country skier. She loved cross-country skiing in Wisconsin. And she used to say to me, um, you know, 
that long border in the upper peninsula between Wisconsin and the upper peninsula of Michigan. Uh, we ought to just take that. At least they should give it to us in Wisconsin. You know that long border where you have, you go north of Wisconsin and there's the upper peninsula of Michigan. She used to say to me, we used to, we ought to just take it from them. That's kind of what is going on here. Ahab wants that section and he wants to take it and he appeals to Jehoshaphat to join him in this effort. Remember, Jehoshaphat's a good king. Ahab is a bad, bad king. And Ahab wants this piece of property. Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us, Ahab says, and we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are and my people are as your people, your horses as my horses. Verse 5, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first of the word of the Lord. And the king of Israel said, Gather the prophets together, about 400 men. And they said to them, he said to them, Shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Okay, set the scene here. You're going to see that the kings at this stage, and a couple of verses from now, they're sitting in their thrones. They're decked out in their robes. They've got all of their aids and all their fancy finery going on, and they're on the threshing floor, an, an open area, and you've got 400 prophets of God coming. Not prophets of God, excuse me. They're prophets. They're not called prophets of God. That's important. It's also important to note that they're sitting on their thrones in all their human splendor as though everyone is to be impressed. It's important to keep that in mind as we go along. Jehoshaphat um, said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel said, gather the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for the Lord will give you it into the hand of the king. Picture that, 400 prof prophets, not prophets of the Lord, just guys. 400 before the kings, dancing around, telling him how great he is and how he's going to conquer Ramoth Gilead. But Jehoshaphat doesn't seem to be so impressed. He says in verse 7, Is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? Jehoshaphat's pretty discerning. He wants a prophet of the Lord. He's a little suspicious here, it seems. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is a yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. Why? Well, I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Now, I wonder why that would be. It's because Micaiah is a prophet of the Lord, and Ahab is a wicked man who does wicked things contrary to what the Lord wants. Look, the big idea of this study of 1 Kings 22, is that um, being great in the Lord's eyes, obscure people like us, unknown obscure people in, like us, you can be great in the Lord's eyes, and you're going to see Micaiah is great in the Lord's eyes because he's not afraid of anything. Once you come to know the Lord in his awesomeness, in his goodness, in his power, then you will be afraid of nothing. No human being, no illness, no loss of job, Nothing in your life will scare you as you consider who God is and what he wants of us. And he will empower us to live the way he wants us to live through the relationship we had in his great son, Jesus Christ. There's nothing we should fear. 
And you're going to see from Micaiah his courage, his commitment, and his confidence in the Lord's provision. So, again, 1 Kings 22, verse 8. There is one man, Ahab says, we may inquire of, but Micaiah, the son of Ilma, but I hate him, for I never prophesied good concerning him, but evil. And Jehoshaphat says, let, the, let not the king say so. In other words, let's hear what he has to say. Verse 9, Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. That's the capital of Israel. At the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. What a scene. 400 men prophesying before these two human kings and their thrones, arrayed in their splendor. And Zedekiah, one of these 400 men, Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead in triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Everybody says, Go and do it. Everybody, every one of them. Well, now let's meet Micaiah. Boy, I love this man, Micaiah. You're going to see one man of courage here, one man who speaks for God, one man who is not afraid of these powerful people and would not be afraid of this retired school teacher who so aggressively expresses her views of hatred and intolerance. That's the world in which we live today. Verse 13. Uh, the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, this is Ahab talking, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And Micaiah answered him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said, how many times have I told you, shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He's experienced with Micaiah, as you saw earlier. He's experienced with Micaiah. He knows Micaiah is going to tell him what the Lord says. So Micaiah says what he wants to hear, that he's going to triumph. Ahab is not stupid. He knows Micaiah is not being truthful. Micaiah is just leading him along a path he wants to go on. He knows Ahab is determined to go on this path of sin, and Micaiah just sets him up. Verse 17, Micaiah then speaks the truth of what he sees, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. He's talking about a vision for after the battle over Ramoth-Gilead. They have no shepherd. They're scattered. You're going to lose, Ahab, and you're going to lose badly. 
There's no master, there's no leader, there's no shepherd, but let each one return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Frustrated Ahab. And Micaiah said, Therefore, okay, now you're going to get it. Hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? Now that's an interesting perspective, an interesting scene. Is God the author of lying? Is God the author of um, um, sending people to entice someone to sin? Well, let's, let's play this out, see what the Scriptures say. Who will entice Ahab that he may go out and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets, all 400 of his prophets. And the Lord said, you are to entice him, and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. There's a lot of discussion when I was working through this passage of, well, you know, there's something wrong with the description here. God is the author of evil. God would do a lying thing like this. He's imperfect. No, no, no. As Lucas rightly taught us from Romans 1 last week, God often or sometimes turns people over to what they want. It's the, what he called the exchange. That's the word used in Romans 1, the exchange. You exchange the truth of God for the lie. You want that? It's as though the Lord is saying, you want that, Ahab? Is that what you want? You think that's better than what I want for you and Israel? You think that's better? And you're insisting on doing it over and over again? This is your practice. It's not an error, Ahab. This is your practice. God turns them over, as in Romans 1, to their sin. As in Exodus, when the Lord told Moses to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. You'll see when you read that account. Over and over, uh, uh, in response to Moses' urgings, the Pharaoh uh, is said to be hard, uh, that, that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Over and over, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Then later, the Scripture turns, and it said, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It was over for Pharaoh. Uh, we don't know when that time comes in a person's life, but we know there's a point where God will no longer endure or strive with people, that he turns them over to what they want. In effect, saying, you think that's better than me? Okay, have it your way. You're going to eat fruit, and you're not going to like it. Now, there may be few people that will tell you the truth. Micaiah is one of them. You're not going to like what he has to say. And how about us today? How about us today? Are we willing to speak to this retired school teacher about our love for Christ in the face of all kinds of pressure? against it, to be quiet, to shut up, you're a Christian. Shut up, you've got nothing to say because you're this or you're that. Are we willing to stand, as Micaiah did, and say the truth in accordance with God's word? Character is revealed under pressure. It's easy to be a Christian when there's no challenge. Micaiah would have been easy to say nothing and go along with these 400 prophets. The pressure on Micaiah is immense. Courage in the face of overwhelming pressure. That's the mark. That's the mark, one of the marks of a godly man or a godly woman. Courage in the face of pressure. I love Christ more than I love you, Ahab. I 
fear God more than I fear you, Ahab, despite the fact that you're on your throne, despite the fact that you've got King Jehoshaphat and all you guys are laid out and you've got 400 prophets doing all this prophesying falsely. I fear the Lord. Courage in the face of overwhelming pressure. That's Micaiah. That can be us. So the Lord gives permission to one of these spirits to entice Ahab to do what already was in his heart to do. It was already there, and he just said, okay, you go ahead and do it. Do entice him for what is already in his heart. Verse 23. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these your prophets. Your prophets, not God's prophets. He has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all 400 of these men. The Lord has declared disaster for you, Ahab. Oh, my goodness. That guy, Micaiah, is immensely devoted to the Lord. And he pays a price. Look, commitment brings consequences. Courage in the face of overwhelming pressure. Commitment brings consequences. Um, You're going to see what's going to happen to Micaiah. But commitment may bring consequences that are painful. As Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you too. A servant is not greater than his master. They're going to hate you too if they hated me, and they do. They do hate Jesus. The Lord put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. And verse 24, uh, one of the 400 prophets, Zedekiah, the son of Chenana, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek. Oh, well, brave guy, Zedekiah. He doesn't like what Micaiah says, so he hits him on the face and said, how did the Spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? How is it, he's saying, that I was speaking for the Lord and I'm going to smack you, and how is it that uh, uh, the Spirit that led me to do that is now speaking through you? He's mocking them. That's a consequence of bravery before the Lord, before these men. It's a consequence, and that's okay. It's a price. But you notice how unflappable Micaiah is. He's not faced. He's not afraid. He's not shaking. Micaiah says, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. See the confidence? You can strike me. Go ahead. You can make fun of me. You can fill in the blank. Fill in the blank in your life today. You can fire me. You can assault me with your words. You can do what you want to me. I'm not moving because I know the Lord. That's Micaiah. And he says to him, look, you know, you'll see. You shall see. On the day, you're going to hide yourself in the inner chamber. You're going to be so afraid because of what I'm saying is so, and you're going to hide yourself. That's what you're made of, Zedekiah. Micaiah said in verse 25, I'm sorry, verse 26, the king of Israel, remember that's the bad king Ahab, so the king of Israel is upset. He says, seize Micaiah. Take him back to Amon, the governor of the city, and Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. There you go. That's another consequence. Another consequence. Okay. Micaiah said, if you return in peace, 
the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples. He's announcing to everyone there who is within the hearing of his voice, they need to hear and watch and see what is the end of all of this debate, all of this show, all of this pomp before these kings and all these false prophets. They're going to see. He has confidence in the Lord's provision. Even if he's in prison, meager rations of bread and water. Is that new to Micaiah? No, it's not new to Micaiah, and he doesn't mind. It's okay. It's part of the consequence of being devoted to the Lord. Courage in the face of overwhelming pressure. Commitment brings consequences, not always glorious, good, and fun times. Commitment brings consequences that is costly, whether you're a student or whatever your role is in this life. It brings consequences, sometimes painful. Are you okay with that? Am I okay with that? There's only one way to stand in this, and that's to abide in Christ. Let me ask you something. If Christ was um, in this situation, would he sound like Micaiah? If Jesus were in this position, would he sound like the prophet Micaiah? Uh, I'm arguing that he would. Remember when he talked to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is the work that God assigned Micaiah to do. Micaiah is speaking for the Lord, and that's Jesus in the Trinity. Strong, unafraid, not weak, not roundy. He's got some edges about him, and that's okay, and that's good. So they're going to throw him into prison again, seize Micaiah, feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah says, if you come in peace, then the Lord has not spoken by me. And he's saying in front of all the people so they can hear. And when Ahab is decimated, they're going to see. You'll see later, I'm not going to go through each of these verses, but later, uh, verse 34, as they're going to battle, and it's really not clear why Jehoshaphat even agreed to go to battle, because Jehoshaphat was no fool, and he did love the Lord. But in verse 34, a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel, Ahab, between the scale armor and the breastplate. He dressed up like an ordinary soldier. He didn't want to dress up as the king because he knew they would be targeting him as the king. So he dressed up as an ordinary soldier, brave guy. Ahab. How likely is it that a, a soldier from Syria takes his bow and shoots an arrow in the air and it comes down and strikes just the seam in Ahab's armor and he bleeds out and dies? You also see that Jehoshaphat is being pursued. Jehoshaphat wore these kingly robes and he's being pursued and he cries out and we see in uh, Chronicles how he cries out and, and issues a prayer to the Lord to save him and the, the uh, soldiers of Syria back off and they, they look for Ahab. So Ahab dies and it says later in, in chapter 23 um, I'm sorry, chapter 22, that uh, the dogs licked up his blood, and uh, that's a fulfillment of a prophecy from previous uh, uh, chapters in 1 Kings 22, uh, where he, was un he unrighteously killed someone. Unrighteously killed someone. Jehoshaphat goes home, um, and you'll see in 2 Chronicles 19, that as he goes home, a seer named Jehu, 2 Chronicles 19, says um, of this episode in Jehoshaphat's life, 
Uh, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Question for Jehoshaphat. Kind of a, a rebuke. Help the wicked, love those who hate the Lord. Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, Jehoshaphat, for you destroyed the Asherahs, that's a goddess uh, that people worship as an idol, and you have set your heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat was good. He wasn't perfect. He was not a perfect king. Courage, commitment, confidence. Once you notice, once Micaiah saw the vision of the Lord in his throne room, he saw that vision, contrast that with the human pomp and circumstance, all the fancy duds of all these, uh, these two kings and their 400 prophets, unimpressed, doesn't matter, it's okay. I'm going to speak for the Lord. I have a vision for who he is. It led to uh, consequences that weren't very favorable, and yet he had confidence in the Lord's provision for him. I'm reminded of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, where Paul, again, is writing to Corinthians church. And he says this. If, if, by, by the way, I'm, I'm reading this section because sometimes we as Christians, if we're firm in our faith and we're pretty aggressive or outspoken in our faith, sometimes we'll get criticized by those who have a little more of a soft, around-the-edge to their experiences, experience with Jesus and how they believe things ought to be laid out. And that's okay if, the way, if that's the way the Lord has wired you, but it's not okay if you fail to speak when it's necessary to speak. So let's be careful as we think about judging others and how they interact with the world. As Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, for me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. It's not that he's contemptuous toward them. He's not worried about them. What he's worried about or what he's focused on is what the Lord thinks of him. And that's what we should be focused on. And it carries on in, in verse 3. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. Just because I don't know of anything that I'm sinning in doesn't mean I'm innocent. It just means I, I, I don't know. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, because it's, it's the Lord who's going to judge me, don't pronounce judgment before the time. Be, before the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness. And we'll disclose the purposes of the heart. When we face the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 talks about uh, standing before the Lord and he will judge our works, whether they are made of gold, silver, and precious stones or wood, hay, and stubble. So as you examine your own heart, are you more like Micaiah or somebody else? Are you so enthralled with the Lord and who He is and what He's done for you through Jesus Christ that you can have courage in the face of overwhelming opposition, hundreds of overwhelming opponents? Can you stand for Jesus and say, you know, I, I love Christ. Here's what He has done. Here's who He is. Here's the gospel. Commitment brings consequences. You may lose friends. You may lose family. You may be ridiculed, rejected. But confidence in the Lord's provision, as Paul had, as Micaiah had, obscure, unknown, disregarded, of whom the world was not worthy. The day is coming, and it's already here, where we are seeing these kinds of things happen in our culture. Do not pronounce judgment before the time on one another. God knows, 
He will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. If we act in cowardice or in fear, lack of confidence in our relationship to the Lord through the great Son, Jesus Christ, we will suffer loss. That's called wood hand stubble. Not that we're perfect, but that the direction of our life is toward that kind of commitment and courage. Greatness in the Lord's eyes and nothing else will matter. So that the Lord says, there he is, there's my man, there she is, there's my woman who follows me and understands what it means to be committed to me. Courage in the face of overwhelming pressure. Be great in the Lord's eyes and nothing else will matter. Let's pray together.